Hey, this is Vinny Caruana from The Movie Life. I am the Avalanche, peaced out, constant elevation, and you're listening to the podcast and we know things. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 228 of We Podcast and We Know Things, where we recap all of the nerdy news except this week. My name is Greg Hahn. Alongside of me is, well, not this week. Sam Matoro is off this week, so it'll just be me today and uh, a little bit different of an episode. So instead of recapping the nerdy news, and it was a slow news week, so I don't really think that there's like too much to recap Anyway, I think I'm going to get into my favorite story of the week kind of uh, a little bit later on in the show, but I wanted to do something a little bit different. Um, we're not here live on Zencaster. I'm just going right into my my software and, and everything's good to go. We won't have picks of the week because I'm about to have 20 of them. <laughs> we won't have trivia. Uh, I'm going to give some overall impressions of WandaVision tonight here on episode 228, but I'm also, like I said, going to do something a little different. I'm going to recommend you 10 shows you need to watch and 10 indie video games you need to play. They'll be separated by uh, a news story, the shows and the games. It's kind of like my transition point because it's a game based on a show, so it kind of works. Um, also, uh, it's not scripted or anything like that, and I did not put these shows in any order. So it's not like the first show. Well, actually, <laughs> the way I have it is the first two shows on my list are the two shows I would recommend the most, and the first game on my list is a game I would recommend arguably the most. So there's a little bit of method to the madness tonight, but uh, like I said, Sam is off. It's just me here, Greg, just chilling. It's a Thursday night, and I'm drinking, before I get started, I'm drinking Nesquik. You hear it, not a sponsor. Uh, Banana strawberry milk, low fat. And I... (sighs) I just can't wrap my head around why it's called banana strawberry. Every single concoction in the world with these two flavors I've ever, ever experienced that's been strawberry banana. I just don't get the whole banana strawberry thing. But, 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 I I think it's because they already have a strawberry milk. And so they don't want people to get confused and grab strawberry banana instead of just strawberry. And it's one of their main two flavors. So I could see where people get confused i also thought they had a banana maybe that's just a lesser known flavor but i'll tell you it's really good um as i thought it would be nesquik chocolate milk it's okay not my favorite nesquik strawberry milk is phenomenal i love anything banana flavored so uh banana ice cream is the best ice cream banana milk is probably the best milk so unless you go to like an asian country and they got these crazy ass awesome concoctions of of milk flavor. So you might hear me drinking some Nesquik throughout the show um, because that's what 32 year olds do is we podcast by ourselves while drinking Nesquik on a Wednesday night. It is Wednesday, March 10th, 2021. You're hearing this on Thursday, March 11th or after, but we're dropping the episode a day early because we love you. And also because I don't want to wait an additional 24 hours. If I'm going to record, I'm going to release it because y'all de- deserve to hear it. So without further ado, like I said, I'm going to start with my overall impressions of WandaVision. Then we're going to go 10 shows you need to watch and 10 indie games you need to play separated by a story. We're in for a fun episode tonight. So WandaVision, <laughs> it's over. Everybody's talking about it. And like, I don't want it to be you getting sick of hearing about it. I hope that if you 
are listening to this and there will be time codes. So if you don't want to, you know, hear the WandaVision stuff, because it's going to be full of spoilers. If you don't want to hear it, skip to the next segment of the show. But, you know, assuming if you're listening to this, you've watched the show, you have opinions on the show. You know, next week will be our big primer. It's the final week before the Falcon and Winter Soldier. So Sam will will no doubt give his thoughts on WandaVision overall. I have an idea of where he's at on that show. Um, I think we feel a little differently, but I'll let him say it. For me, I loved it. Um, Even that finale was something that I am totally down with. I don't have a problem with it. Uh, You know, I think there's some little stuff that doesn't make sense or that they missed out on. But I think a little bit of that is COVID. Um, Like a little bit. If you're going to release something, even during COVID, release it right. I I get that. If you're going to do something, do it right. So I understand that philosophy. But there's another part of it too of, you know, did it outdo itself in the first three or four episodes that it, it almost had no choice but to let down or did it go down a stray path? I thought it did a really nice job of blending the the real world and the sitcom stuff. I just found myself loving the sitcom stuff better uh, than, than the real MCU stuff. Like the show was at its best to me when it was a sitcom. And after that kind of broke off, it just became a long MCU movie. Uh, it did its MCU thing. And like, if you like the MCU, you'll, you'll probably like this show. And even the direction it decided to take it, it didn't take a lot of risks at the end. It didn't introduce villains that people were theorizing about, but that's just the thing. It's the same thing when I get hyped up for a Nintendo Direct and put out all these crazy predictions and get my hopes up and my you know expectations sky high. When you release a show weekly, that's going to be a part of it. It's going to be the theory videos that you watch, whether it be Screen Crush or Emergency Awesome or just the own, you know, your own that you've thought of or with friends, you know, theorizing and putting on your tinfoil hats. It's just, you can't, if if what you had in your mind didn't come true, that doesn't mean it's bad. It just doesn't, it just means it wasn't what you expected, which ultimately could be a good thing. And I think they chose to go the safe route with Agatha and that's okay. I like that Agatha is not the same as she is in the comics and is the mentor to Wanda. Uh, maybe in a crazy world or in a multiverse, she will be. You know, now this was just a great way to introduce introduce Catherine Hahn's character to the MCU, who stole the show. Um, you know, literally, I guess, <laughs> since it was her all along. But you know, if if you like the I won't say cut and dry, but if you like the pretty straightforward Marvel Cinematic Universe stuff, the movies and kind of that shtick, you'll like the show. And you probably did like the show. And I loved it. I loved it. I loved it. And the people that had problems with the finale, I get it. I understand that. You were totally entitled to that opinion. And you're totally allowed to dislike it. And you could feel like you wasted eight weeks. I did not. I am also in the camp of loving the first half of episodes, which I know Sam has been on record saying he doesn't. And again, that's totally cool. He's in favor of the more straight line MCU stuff, which is great. Or maybe he just didn't like the way that it was told. I like black and white television. I like the way that, you know, it it laid some, some hints. Now, again, maybe those hints didn't pay off. I still don't know who the missing kid on the milk carton was. Um, maybe Ralph, who knows, but I, uh, I feel like it didn't connect all of its dots, but that might be on purpose. We don't know 
what the multiverse of madness has in store for us and what will make it. I think Vision will be back. I think the twins will be back. You saw that with the end credit scene. So I think we're not done with this universe yet. I don't think it comes back for a two. I think that's already been kind of kiboshed and it was a mini series as opposed to a seasonal thing. But I'm okay with things being open-ended for a while. Maybe they'll get closed eventually. Um, I'm not here looking for finality in my show about Wanda and the vision. Um, it's just, I came for, I came with low expectations and I walked away completely exceeded. My expectations have been completely exceeded. The show did what it needed to do. It got phase four kicked off. It got me excited and I'm ready to roll into the Falcon, the winter soldier to me though. This was actually a story about Monica. This was her origin story to me up until the end of episode seven, where you're in the basement with Agatha and Wanda. This was Monica's origin story. Monica Rambeau, uh, you saw her get snapped back. You saw her, you know, go through the loss of her mother without even knowing it. You saw her get her powers, become photon, then actually use those powers, even though the bullets went through and the, the twins actually ended up stopping the bullets anyway. So that was kind of useless, but I get it. I get it. It just showed off her powers. We saw her connecting with Wanda. We know she's going to be in Captain Marvel 2. We got some Brie Larson, you know, voiceover in there. So this was really a Monica uh, origin story to me, which uh, that's why, you know, that's one of the things that did hit. I'm okay with that. It tied up pretty nicely where Monica started and where she is now. And when I see her back on the screen, I'll say, oh, yeah, from WandaVision. I have no problem with that. Um, Vision. Though the other titular character of this show, I think might be my biggest letdown of the show. Um, you know, other than Wanda just kind of walking through town after everything happened and she like didn't say a word to all these people and like didn't say, you know, sorry for taking you over. Um, <laughs> I was a little bit of a dick. I, I, I definitely would have liked her to show a little empathy there, but I think Vision was the one piece for me. That didn't stick. Um, and again, I'm okay with it. I just don't, I just, listen, he went on a quest to kind of figure out what Wanda was doing, right? He's going around, he's sleuthing. He's, uh, you know, he's with Agatha and he's turning her back and and into what he thought was her normal self and getting all this info and going in the ice cream truck and with, with Kat Denning's character. And they're just kind of talking through everything. He learns a lot about it, what happened to him. And then he just kind of forgets about it and goes and fights. And I get it, family first. I understand that, right? But my big problem is now Vision is no longer dead. When he passed his, I guess, or at least unlocked the memories to the white Vision, um, who became, if so facto, became like the new Vision, That's that means, and, and he flies off into God knows where. I, I think that brings Vision back into the MCU, which is just such a disappointment. Why can't, and I get it. In comics all the time, characters die, they come back to life. They die, they come back to life. There are alternate versions of this character. They, they exist in different timelines. I understand that. The MCU is also something different from the comics. And the MCU is also, at this moment, just one timeline. We're going to be introduced to the multiverse. We're going to get that through Spider-Man. We're going to get that through Doctor Strange. But we're not there yet. And again, they're sowing seeds for the future. That's okay. I don't need finality. I just talked about all that. But let's keep your fucking characters dead. Let's give some stakes, which we talk about all the time. Make it a little risky. You had an opportunity, I think it was in Civil War with War Machine. Maybe it was Infinity War. I think it was Civil War. I can't remember. Where War Machine gets shot out of the sky. No, he's fine. He's just limping. He's got some crutches or wheelchair or whatever it was, but he didn't die. That was that. He, anybody else is dead from that. You have, uh, who was it? Gamora. 
she's supposed to be dead from the Soul Stone in Infinity War. But because of the time travel in Endgame, she's back. It's just a different... Well, I guess that is. Then they did introduce a multiverse. So, like, you have Gamora. You have Loki, who died in the, the intro to to Infinity War and then comes back in Endgame and it's a different Loki and now he's got his own show. <laughs> you know, Vision is dead and Vision got his own show. We then got teased that it was a dead Vision. I would have loved for that storyline to stick and for Wanda to just go through with this dead Vision who she reincarnated. I didn't need the white Vision. I didn't need S.W.O.R.D. to rebuild the Vision and then bring him back. I'm just tired of these characters who you feel for. Even when Spider-Man got dusted in infinity war you knew they were coming back you knew they were all coming back but it's still that what if it's still that you know mystery and we don't we, it's like almost like if somebody i if i watch somebody on screen get their head ripped off like the vision i have no doubt that he's coming back later in the mcu and i just think that that's it does it a disservice and I, and I really don't care for that. Um, so from that aspect, if Vision's whole entire storyline just didn't really do it for me. Like Fiatro, I like the Fiatro stuff. Ralph Boner, that was cool. You know, Ralph gets teased a bunch of times from Agatha throughout. Um, I love the payoff at the end where I thought it would have been Agatha's son. I think it's like Mark Stone or something like that. I cannot remember his name. I apologize. But I thought that's who Evan Peters ultimately was playing was Agatha's son. They didn't necessarily pay that off. They uh, they gave us Ralph Boner instead with an Evan Peters headshot. It was uh, kind of a little swerve there from that that door scene where Wanda opens it up and sees you know Fox's Pietro. You think there's finally that crossover from the Fox universe into the MCU, and every, it's all systems go, baby. And that's clearly not the case. It's okay. Uh, that's okay. I they're coming like. Mutants are coming. Fantastic Four is coming. Deadpool's probably coming. Definitely coming. I mean, he's he's probably coming before the other two. So, uh, or factions. So, I mean, like, it's going to be there. It was just a nice, you know, wet the whistle moment. It broke the internet for a week. Theories running wild. I liked it. And to have it just be Ralph, who kind of got teased as maybe it could be Mephisto. And in episode two, you know, the devil's in the details. That's not the only place he is. And, like those little fun little lines to make you wonder and theorize ultimately didn't give you the payoff you wanted. That's fine. Um, I, I liked Ralph and I like Evan Peters. So I thought that was cool. Uh, on um, Emergency Awesome, I was watching a video and Charlie said that there were like a ton of proposed deleted scenes and alternate endings and plans they couldn't move forward with. Like Benedict Cumberbatch uh, not actually being able to cameo apparently because of like the travel restrictions on COVID and I remember Sam's outro. It was if it wasn't last week, it was the week before. His one-liner outro to the episode was, "If uh, Doctor Strange isn't in the Wandavision finale, I'll be pissed," or something like that. And I think it was last week's episode two twenty-seven, and I think that was their plan, and it just fell apart. And we got a really cool um, uh, end credit scene that, you know, does set it up that Wanda can now astral project or whatever um just like strange and she can do it while she's awake and strange does it while he's sleeping so she might be even more powerful than strange so she might actually get to be the sorcerer i can't gosh i can't remember uh whatever he's called the supreme sorcerer supreme something like that some taco bell menu item um I, she might be that in the future so that's fine totally cool there um i'll wait for the multiverse of madness before i get to see them both on screen and, and go and 
you know, in whatever direction they decide. And if it's Kang or I think it's Kang is the name. I, I can't remember that either. Um, then it's fine. I'm cool. I, I'm waiting to see. I, you know, I didn't hate the finale again. Like I thought I said, I thought it was acceptable. I think, um, the vision stuff wasn't great. The Wanda not apologizing stuff wasn't great, but if it didn't tug a little at your heartstrings, I didn't mind them. And I think it was episode eight, the meme, the love line, grief is love persevering. Shoo. I'm a family man with a, with a two year old and another on the way, you know, that stuff hits home for an emo bitch like me. You don't grow up listening to may and not paying for it. <laughs> uh, you know, I'm I'm all for a sappy sucker line, but overall, I thought it was a really good show. I'm excited for Phase Four. I am looking forward to the Falcon and the Winter Soldier um, as the buddy cop, you know, good you know friends on, friends off. Let's just get it done type stuff with the deeper lore of Captain America's future and we're the new Cap and and I love, Bucky's one of my favorite characters in the MCU. Sebastian Stan is awesome, so I'm really looking forward to that show. WandaVision might actually be. When I look back on this year with Loki and Hawkeye potentially and like what if and Falcon and the Winter Soldier, like WandaVision might end up being my favorite. I If I were to peg it before, I'd say Falcon and the Winter Soldier. If I, you know, I wouldn't be shocked at the end of the year if Falcon and the Winter Soldier is. Um, I'm not excited at all for the Hawkeye show. It's going to be something I have on and I just don't care. Hopefully it surprises me like Daredevil did. Um, I wouldn't mind Loki being excellent. Um, I don't have incredibly high hopes for that show. Like personally, I'm not like super duper uber looking forward to it because it's another character that should be dead. Um, And it's just like, are they going to bring back uh, Black Widow? But you know what? She's getting her own damn prequel movie and she'd be dead. She'd be dead for two years now. So anyway, Marvel Phase 4 kicking off. I was going to have that as one of my 10 shows you need to watch, uh, but I decided against it. Because I think there are 10 shows out there that, you know, deserve the attention WandaVision is getting. Let's just call it that. And no, none of them are Tiger King. And I've talked about a couple of them. There's one that I haven't talked about yet, unless it's on Twitter. I did I did a three-tweet tweet about this show. 180, 180 characters just weren't enough. Uh, remember when Twitter was 120? Oh. What a rough life that was, man. You had to abbreviate a ton of stuff. Now we can at least go a little deeper into it. But 10 shows you need to start watching. I'll give you, uh, I'll give you like the network you can watch it on. Most of these are streaming. I think nine of the 10 are streaming. So I'll give you that. I'll give you, uh, you know, episode counts and, and stuff like that. But I'm going to start with my number two show of the year last year. And ultimately after a second rewatch, my number one show of 2020. It was amazing. They're filming season two now. It's very mature in terms of language. That's about as as it's going to get. It's not like raunchy or anything like that. It's just got very foul language. I'm talking about Ted Lasso. You have to go watch Ted Lasso. I think I do a tweet every three to four days encouraging everybody to go watch Ted Lasso. Um, Sam still hasn't listened. I hope he does wherever he's at right now. I hope he's having fun up there. Uh, but like, 
if you haven't yet, you just have to start watching it. It does not matter if you like or hate football or like or hate soccer or like or hate sports. The sports, the soccer takes a backseat to the character growth, to the story, to the heartwarming emotion, to the fucking comedy. This is one of the, if not the funniest shows I may have ever seen, not just recently, but ever seen. It's brilliantly funny. Top to bottom, left to right, Jason Sudeikis just rocks it. An 8.7 out of 10 on IMDb out of 40,500 ratings. That's enormous. 10 episodes, Apple TV+. Plus. You can get a free subscription. You can knock it out in a night. This is a half-hour show. 10 episodes, 5 hours. Go figure it out. The Snyder Cut's 4 hours. And you'll find a way to watch that in just a week. So, man, take a night, maybe two, and check out Ted Lasso. Football coach, college football coach, wins a national championship with Wichita State, the Shockers, out of Kansas, gets hired by Richmond FC, or Richmond AFC, I think Richmond FC, to go be a coach in the Premier League over in England. And has no idea what soccer is or, or really how to play it or any of the rules, but he's a good leader. And in my line of work in real life, one of my mottos, manage less, lead more. A good leader can be a good leader regardless of what he or she is leading. And that's really what Ted Lasso is about. But he's a flawed character and there's more to him that you learn about. And he's not just some goofy southerner from America going over to England and trying to learn the culture and customs. He has his own baggage and his own problems. And you learn about that. You connect with him and you connect with the football players, the footballers, as they say. You connect with the side characters, the owner. Oh, man, do I love her. Hannah Waddingham. She plays Rebecca. And she is ruthless and amazing. I absolutely love her. Brendan Hunt as Coach Beard. He might be, if not the funniest character, he might be the second funniest. Incredibly subtle. Very, very subtly hilarious. And I'd, I'd also like to say, too, if you ever remember watching like Buffy the Vampire Slayer back when you were a kid, Anthony Head, he plays almost like the villain character. He was um, Giles, I think, the librarian from Buffy. You can't go wrong. Ted Lasso, HBO, or not HBO Plus, Apple Plus, Apple TV Plus. I've talked about it enough on this pod that I don't really have to go too in depth here. It's a show you absolutely must watch. My next one is the one I have not talked about yet. It's the one I want to talk about the most. It's probably the one that when I got this idea that I was like, I could do an hour and a half on this show alone. I've watched it twice this week and it's Wednesday. I've watched the entire series this week twice and it's Wednesday. Now, the entire series is only five episodes. <laughs> it's definitely it's a mini series. So, you know, I'm not binging two seasons in a night. I'm watching five episodes, but I knocked it out in a night. Got so emotional, so connected that I asked my wife to watch it. And over the next two nights, we watched it. So um, I've watched it freaking my, the last like 72 hours. I've watched it twice. That's crazy uh, to me. Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. And it's called It's a Sin. It's on HBO Max. It's a Max original. It's definitely uh, – it was. it's – they – what I love about HBO Max Originals is they don't just make their own content. They 
purchase other content from other providers. Like that's how search party got on there. Search party was, I think TBS and HBO max said, no, no, we are owned by Warner. Warner is TNT, I believe Turner. So we're going to take that. And Oh, by the way, we're going to make the seasons three and four ourselves, even though one and two are leaps and bounds better. What HBO max does is they'll take the first season of something and bring it to a different audience. And it's a sin is a, is a UK based show. And it's, uh, you know, it's about oh man. I get, to even say what it's about, just it's it's nuts enough. So I'm actually instead of just doing that before I go into like what it's about, I want to read the tweet that I wrote about it. Um, I will read it word for word. <clears throat> so I wrote this two days ago. Did you ever consume a piece of content, a film, TV series, game, album that just punched you in the gut? stole your car keys, and held your mind hostage. Something so engrossing, it sticks with you just for a long time. It's a sin on HBO Max is that for me. It's a 10 out of 10 masterpiece. While I can't relate personally to its content, it is such an amazingly told story that made me laugh out loud, cry multiple times in its five episodes, and believe in these phenomenal characters in ways I have not believed in years. It should be watched by everyone. It's five episodes, like I said, each of them between 40 and 50 minutes. So again, same as Ted Lasso, about a five-hour runtime. You can knock it out. And I will tell you this. Well, first and foremost, 16,000 IMDb ratings, an 8.8 out of 10. Um, It is definitely a show with a beginning, a middle, and an end. It does not leave you on a cliffhanger, and that's awesome. I appreciate that about these types of shows, especially a mini series. Um, the, the marketing, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? The marketing, uh, slogan, maybe not slogan, like par- like summary, maybe the marketing summary for this show, uh, or plot summary is a chronicle of four friends during a decade in which everything changed, including the rides, the rise of AIDS. Uh, it is definitely more than four friends. It is definitely a story of five and even six, if you count Gregory. Um, and even more, if you count some of the smaller side characters, but it's really, it's not four, it's five. So I can't even agree with that. But Ollie Alexander plays Richie to- uh, Tozar, who is the, what you would presume to be the main character. He's the first character you see on screen. Me, Lydia West, who plays Jill Baxter. I think she is really the main character of this show for reasons I don't want to go into. I'm not going to spoil these shows because that'll be for you to watch. But what I love about this is besides Ali Alexander, Nathaniel Curtis, who plays Ash, Omari Douglas, who plays Roscoe, Lydia West, I said Jill Baker, uh, my favorite character, Colin Morris Jones. He's played by Caleb Scott Howells. These characters have been in nothing. These actors, it's like their first role. And I absolutely love that. You're putting new stars on the map, especially uh, Calum uh, Scott Howells, who plays Colin, my favorite character of the show by far. He is a joy. The, um, you know, unassuming, just happy-go-lucky Taylor's Apprentice and his story and the way that caps. Omari Douglas is a fan favorite. Roscoe, like I said, Babatunde, um, loved his character and his character arc. To me, this show is really about Jill Baxter and her relationship to these other five individuals. It, is, it takes place in the 80s. It tells a story through the 80s, 81 to 91, so over a decade. And 
how in that time frame, the AIDS epidemic really wasn't very known and was looked down upon and the homosexual, uh, you know, uh, lifestyle was frowned upon so much that this became the gay disease and the story of these five men and woman who lived their lives through this time and experienced all this stuff. It just, it builds you up. It rips you down. It shocks you. It alls you. It makes you laugh. It makes you cry. It goes places. I never expected it to go in the first 10 minutes. I'm watching it. I'm like, you know what? I should probably like get off the phone, turn the lights down and just enjoy this content. And like I said, for me, heterosexual man, wife, you know, a daughter, child on the way. I don't necessarily relate to the contents of this show or the lifestyles of their characters, but that's not what it's about. It's about the journey that these characters go on and that these people go on and how really it connects to the real life. I wasn't around in the early eighties. I'm an 88 child and I wasn't in, I've never been across the pond. So I've never been in England. So I don't know what London was like in the early eighties when AIDS was just so unknown that people that, if you can tra- if your roommate contracted it, people were spraying down their stuff and throwing out in the garbage because they didn't know how it spread. It was it's fascinating. That look into their lives is fascinating. And you know, with again without spoiling it, one of the characters says, "I had so much fun." And that really makes you think. Like I think, you know, the casual viewer says, "Why are they doing this? What why would you risk it?" And the way that portrayal comes across of, I just had so much fun. When you're in your 20s, man, that's really what you think about. That's what I thought about, just having fun and living your life. YOLO, as the kids say. I can't speak more highly about this show. It is already my show of the year in 2021. It is just gripping and mind-blowing in every sense of the word. HBO Max, it's a sin. It's trending on the page right now because it's getting some of the the uh, audience that it deserves. Thank goodness, and rightfully so. It's phenomenal. Give it five hours, please. It's a sin. HBO Max, my favorite show of the year. It's early. It's March. It's my favorite show of the year. Uh, like leaps and bounds ahead of WandaVision, and I really liked WandaVision. So it's a sin. Uh, next, it's on Netflix. So we're in the Netflix territory. It's called Atypical, and I've been watching this again. I'm on my second, uh, I'm on my second go around through Atypical, and it's crazy three seasons so far. Um, each season is eight episodes, so you can well actually no, season one is eight episodes, season two is ten, season three is ten, and season four is being released in 2021. So I already know it's probably going to be at least in consideration, if not on my list for my top three shows of the year when we get to there. I love this show. And it's like my style of show, a kid who grew up on Degrassi and loves the high school or college teen drama. I'm into it. Don't ask me why I love the OC. It's just who I am. And I'm not going to apologize. I love this stuff, but this is a little bit of a different take on that. Uh, Sam is an 18 year old with autism. He's on the spectrum. He decides that it's time to find a girlfriend and it's this journey that sets him out through, you know, getting out from under the family shield of his mom and, you know, who is his ultimate caretaker and, and kind of forged his own life. And I loved the aspect of his character. And not only that, it's really friggin' funny, really friggin' funny. Uh, what is it? Keir Gilchrist. Um, he plays Sam Gardner, uh, Jennifer Jason Lee, who is, I believe in, 
She was in Weeds, maybe? Jill Morris, I think. Uh, Nancy's sister. Uh, she plays his mom, Elsa. Phenomenal. Bridget Lundy, uh, Bridget Lundy Payne. Never heard of her before. She looks exactly like Michelle Milet from Letterkenny, but that's neither here nor there. Michael Rappaport plays the dad. And, you know, other than that, not an incredibly well-known cast. But again, three seasons, 28 episodes out now. By the end, it'll be 38. And it's this really fun journey. He loves, Sam loves Antarctica and penguins and turtles and gives these random facts. And you see him going out on dates with girls and, you know, being very brutally honest because he just doesn't lie. And it's just, it's so funny and heartwarming. And, you know, you definitely learn a thing or two about the spectrum and what life is like. Um, You know, I don't have anything in my life, you know, or anybody in my life that um, I can personally relate to. And that's, a really big learning experience for me. And that's something that I can, if it ever were to occur, I can take some of the experiences from this show, learn from that and apply it to real life. And it's just a heartwarming comedy. Um, he, you know, again, no spoilers. He is just, he goes on some wacky journeys. It's just a lot of fun. And, uh, again, Netflix can't go wrong with atypical, a great first three seasons. Three was really good. One and two shine. Three was really good. Kind of like Cobra Kai. One and two were great. Three was okay. Um, or good. Three was good. And then four, it leaves you in a place where I'm really looking forward to that fourth season. Which leads me into another show. Back to, It's still on Netflix, but back into the British kind of genre. You can tell the type of television I like. I like foreign TV, British and Canadian. They're my, like, <laughs> I, listen, I almost watch more of that than I do good old-fashioned American TV. But I've talked about this show as well. Um... And as a matter of fact, season one was one of my favorite uh, uh, seasons of TV in the last five years. Two didn't quite live up to it. Uh, still out of uh, 161,000 reviews on IMDb, an 8.3 out of 10. So definitely gains a big audience. Asa Butterfield plays Otis Milburn, and it's sex education. Long story short, a teenage boy has his, uh, his mom's a sex therapist, and He's very embarrassed by that, but he's picked up a lot of her, you know, wisdom. And he then ends up becoming a sex therapist kind of under the table um, for people in his school. And it's really, really, really crazy and wacky and fun and funny. And I love it so much. Uh, Jillian Anderson is his mom. Uh, You would definitely know or No, wait, is that his mom? No, that's not his mom. Yeah, it is. That's his mom. You would definitely know her. Um. Uh, his best friend Eric is is a hoot. Emma McKay or Emma Mackey, I'm sorry, she just destroys it in this role. She's absolutely phenomenal. Uh, she kind of plays uh, the love interest, if you will. Otis is the main character's name, Asa Butterfield. Uh, she plays Maeve, so his his wannabe love interest, and it's just like this will they won't they story kind of underwoven throughout the entire thing, and it's really 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 good. And season two was I won't say as good as season one, but it did leave me really, really interested into where season three will go because there will be a season three um, without a doubt. And what I liked about this show is it the season two finale, not so great, but I remember the penultimate was spectacular for season two, but season one, it ended on a high note. Like it didn't leave you down. The last two episodes might have been, besides episode one, the two best episodes of the season. So it's not like a show that, you know, you appreciate the journey, but not where it ends. Um, you, I like the ending to both seasons. More the penultimate for season two, but Sex Education, it's a it's a 45-minute show, so 
definitely not like a quick Ted Lasso. It's, I believe, 10 episodes each season. Um, but that's a show you definitely want to check out. That's on Netflix. After that, I mean, if you're not watching Cobra Kai, which is also on Netflix, then you're missing out. You didn't even have to watch, know, or appreciate the old Karate Kid movies. I've only seen the first one. And so when they bring in characters from the second and the third movie, and I haven't seen a character from the next Karate Kid, but I'm hoping Hillary Swank shows up at some point. Uh, it doesn't matter because they'll flash back to it in the show. They'll flash back to the movie anyway, and you'll figure it out really, really quick. So you don't even have to watch, know, or appreciate the old movies. You just got to kind of understand the premise um, and and of the movie, the first movie. And then it kind of just goes from there. Um, Johnny Lawrence was the bad guy. Danielson was the good guy. And now what happens when those roles are reversed and you're watching them as grownups, but really from um, Johnny Lawrence's who is William Zapka, his, uh, his perspective, Johnny Lawrence down on his luck, lives in a crappy apartment, decides to reopen the Cobra Kai dojo that he would, that he was a part of when he was a kid. And, uh, Ralph Macchio's character, Daniel LaRusso still lives in town, owns a car dealership is now perceived to be the bad guy. And it's also like, they're both kind of anti-heroes, both a little bit still in a villain role a little bit. You kind of Almost pick a side Miyagi-Do or Cobra Kai. I love that. Season three uh, dropped in January of this year. It actually dropped on um, New Year's Day of 2021. There's a character, Miguel. He is taken under the wing of Johnny Lawrence and he becomes Cobra Kai. But then through meeting and falling in love with Daniel LaRusso's little daughter, Samantha, then you know what? And she's Miyagi-Do. There's that little bit of, you know, crossover between the dojos. And it's just, it's such a well-told story. It's funny as all hell. It's got mature content in it to the point where it's not just like a kid's throwaway thing. It's really good. It's really heartwarming. Um, you, again, it's one of those things where you don't have to love karate. And even though there's a lot of it, and a lot of martial arts, it almost takes a backseat to the story. Like almost. I think that they do a really good job balancing that actually. And um, three... You know, I, what I hated about three, there's one thing I hated about three is they gave away two's cliffhanger in the season three trailer. So like I watched the season three trailer and I said, damn it, I already know what's going to happen. And again, it took away a little bit of the stakes for me. And at the point, there was a point where I wasn't wondering if it would happen. And I was just like waiting for it to happen. I was like, all right, can the MacGuffin happen so we can just get on with the story? You can tell me what I don't know already. And that was a little disappointing of like predictability and they didn't have the balls to do something that they could have. And I, I really wish they did, but season three definitely lived up to the hype. I really like kind of uh, where they're going. Of course, uh, you make your decision on, on who, you know, what side you're on. Are you on Cobra Kai side? Are you on Miyagi-Do side? There is a character that steals it for me. Is It's played by Jacob Bertrand. His name is Hawk. It's Eli Moskowitz. Um, I just love him coming from, you know, the geeky kid with the, you know, the, the small deformity to this badass who overcomes it and then maybe goes a little too overboard and just kind of his storyline overall. So really love Cobra Kai. I don't really have to go on about it that much longer because you probably heard about it. And you probably watched it. So if you haven't yet, what are you waiting for? Same with the next show. Also on Netflix, The Queen's Gambit. It was my show of the year in 2020. Probably, like I said, looking back on it, would have been my number two, Ted Lasso on Upon a Rewatch. Probably takes that cake a little bit. 
But this is a miniseries, seven episodes. You can knock it out in a night or two. 275,000 ratings on IMDb in 8.6. Seven episodes, about 45 to 50 minutes long. Actually, no, it says it right here. The whole series throughout is six hours and 35 minutes. Very, very well told. Anya Taylor-Joy is phenomenal. She steals it from front to back. As soon as she gets introduced as the older Beth Harmon, all throughout the rest of the show, she is brilliant. And it put her on the map for me because the Anya Taylor-Joy that I know is from Split, who I didn't really care for, and in The New Mutants, who I definitely didn't care for. I thought her and Charlie Hunnam just did not stick for me in that film. So I was turned off to the Anya Taylor-Joy kind of momentum train she's been riding. But this show got her back exactly where I was hoping it would take her. She was brilliant. Uh, she is an orphan, and at nine, she be uh, she discovers chess, and she masters the game. She wants to be the grandmaster in the United States. She travels the world to play chess. But as they say in the tagline, stardom comes at a price. Um, I won't go into detail about her demons and the things she battles and you know trying to overcome living in an orphanage and all this stuff that she she does the younger version pretty damn well and it sh- again they pack a lot into seven episodes um i think the looking back on it the one thing because what ted lasso did was it didn't end the way you thought it would it leaves room for a season 2 but it didn't end the way you thought it would the queen's gambit kind of did they kind of played it safe a little bit and i just wanted I just wanted to not know how it would end. Like you almost saw it coming. You almost said in episode five, okay, I see where this is going. It's going to happen. I hope it doesn't happen. And then it happens. And while it's wonderful, and again, it was good enough for me to, for it to earn my show of the year. Um, man, I, I feel like just a little bit more oomph might've gotten it across the finish line on a rewatch and stayed at that top spot and not fallen down to two behind Ted Lasso. Uh, it is brilliantly told. It is not necessarily the funniest show out there, but it is that different style of show. If you're in the mood for the drama, if you're in the mood for the, to me, almost like a thriller, like this was, I have no interest in chess because I'm just not smart enough to play it. And I'm just not good enough to think five moves ahead. I have to do that enough in my day job. I'm good. Uh, I like to just sit there and, and play Nintendo Switch. So uh, I thought that that was gripping. And playing chess has never been as fun and has never been as, like, I guess pulse pounding. It's the, I think the problem is it's very one note and it, like, almost plays out its welcome by the end because when the – again, I, I'm using the word MacGuffin. When it happens, you've been waiting so long – for it to happen that and you have a feeling of the way it's going to go that when it goes that way you just breathe the sigh of like okay we got there as opposed to what is this show going to do next which is the way i thought for the first five seasons of of game of thrones which is the way i thought for breaking bad which is why that is still the greatest piece of television i've ever watched it was like that way when something happens in season six of dexter where they had an opportunity to take it one way and they took it the other and if the Queen's Gambit stayed around for another episode or two, I don't think it would have the same staying power. And if I think it wasn't a miniseries and there was a, 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 a like a very much 40, 50, 60-year-old Beth Harmon and how she 
you know, goes on to do X, Y, and Z in the chess world. I don't think that would have stuck. I think that this, there was a place for this to end and I appreciate that they ended it. Like there's definitely an ending. I almost would have just been like, but what if, just what if that's all, as they say in, in the Marvel world, my next show, you can find it on Netflix, but it is the only TV show I have here that is actually on a network, um, not on exclusive to streaming and it's on AMC and you probably watch it. It's better call Saul. You probably watch it, but if you don't, here's why you should, because I know plenty of people that love breaking bad. I know plenty of people that, uh, liked El Camino. I, I know plenty of people that don't watch Better Call Saul because, well, it's not Breaking Bad. Breaking Bad is an 11 out of 10. It is damn near perfect television. Better Call Saul is a 10 out of 10. If if Breaking Bad, if, if Better Call Saul existed in its own universe, it would have double the ratings. If it wasn't a Breaking Bad spinoff, and if it was Breaking Bad almost, then it would have its own, it would have double the ratings. And it's it does very well. It's about to have its sixth season and final season. Well, I say just about. It's it's going to be in 2022. It was recently delayed into 2022. As this show is about to kick off, maybe even should have started already, but obviously the coronavirus taking its toll on multimedia. Um, but the Better Call Saul, Bob Odenkirk as Saul Goodman. Um, oh, man. Where do I go? The journey that... Um, Bob Odenkirk goes on as Jimmy McGill to turn into Saul Goodman and, and almost, I'm assuming it will end with, you know, maybe Walter or something like that, or maybe he runs into Jesse something. Um, hopefully it's a CG Jesse that gets him making looking younger. Cause boy, he looked rough in El Camino. Um, it introduces characters from the Breaking Bad universe that when you see them, Oh, there's, you know, there's Mike Airman Trout or there's Tuco or there's, you know, Gus Fring, you're like, hell yeah. But it also brings in characters like Kim, like Howard Hamlin, like Nacho, like Chuck, you know? Um, oh, gosh. Victor. I think Victor might have been in Breaking Bad. I, I can't remember, actually. Lalo. I think Lalo was mentioned once in Breaking Bad, or maybe Nacho was mentioned once in Breaking Bad when... Better call or when Saul was out in the desert when Jesse and Walt had guns to his head. Uh, but other than that, like these characters are are new to this show, and it like it explores this world of New Mexico before Walter White was Walter White. And boy, howdy does it do, do so almost flawlessly. I think some people's gripe with it that it was a little slow, but I prefer I actually like slow paced storytelling with a big payoff. Not like The Walking Dead. That's boring and it's a bunch of filler to get us to the end, to where they get they cliffhang you. That's not what this show does. Better Call Saul doesn't have to end on a cliffhanger every time. But it's almost like because it's a prequel, and you know if you watched Breaking Bad, A, how Saul is introduced, but B, how his character, um, how his character's arc is, ends in that show, you almost just want to know. Well, I mean, actually, you, you don't know how his arc ends in Breaking Bad, and you kind of see it in the very first shot of Better Call Saul. Um and we're still working through that. It's actually telling a prequel and a sequel all at the same time. And how can you not think that that's brilliant? Vince Gillian does it again with this show. Uh, five seasons, I think like 12 episodes a season, maybe 10. Um, and I cannot wait for it to be over. It's going to be a 13 episode final season. 
So we got a lot of story to tell. Lalo, one of the best villains, man, in recent in the past decade in television, maybe in the in this millennium. Nacho, the decisions he has to make. Just go watch this show if you haven't already. Please go watch Better Call Saul. I think that might be the last of the of the shows you've probably heard of. The last three are definitely obscure, and maybe even. Um, well, I, I mean, I've talked about Search Party a lot, but before I get there, there's a sh- another show. Like, I love just going on HBO Max and going to the Max Originals and just finding new stuff because of the way they pull in from other countries um, and just, uh, I don't know, kind of give it to a new audience. And that's how I found this show. It's called Pure. I think I've talked about this show before as my pick of the week, but I'll go a little bit deeper here. It's only six episodes. Uh, I do not believe it is or will be um, getting a second season because it did debut in 2019. Now, maybe coronavirus held the production up for 2020 for a season two. There is room for a season two based on what happens at the end of season one, but only six episodes. They're 45-minute episodes, so it's not a quick three-hour thing. It's it's a little bit longer, but it doesn't feel its length. It never does. That's what I loved about this show. It's a comedy. It's a drama. Um, it's uh, it's really, it's, it's another UK based show. It's, this one's more Scotland. Um, Charlie Clive, she's phenomenal. She plays Marnie, the main character. Um, basically Marnie has really X-rated thoughts. Um, at random times for no random reason about anybody she comes in contact with little old lady, you know, um, stunning gentleman, her best friend, her mom, her teacher, it doesn't matter. She just has really, really, really X-rated thoughts. And she almost feels suffocated in her town. So she moves to, I believe it is London, which is the same place as it's not a sin or it's, uh, it's a sin takes place. And, um, yeah, she moves to London as I'm looking it up now. So she just jumps on a bus, goes to London and tries to kind of reinvent her life and kind of work through this issue um, while, while simultaneously building a new life. And then an old friend comes to try and reconnect and that, you know, doesn't go great. And I just think that through six episodes, it, it has a beginning, has a middle, has an end. I wouldn't be upset if this is the only six we get. I also wouldn't be shocked if, because HBO max picked it up, I don't think they're just going to sit on six. They probably picked it up with an intention of another six. Um, I don't see anything around here about there being a season two, but uh, 7.4 out of 10 out of 2,000 ratings. So I think 2,000 right now is the lowest we had uh, on any of the IMDb scale that we've had on these past six or seven shows I've gone through. This is probably the least known show I'm going to talk about. Um, the cast is, you know, do you know Joe Cole or Kieran Sonia Sawyer or uh, Anthony Welsh or Dune McKinchin? I don't think so. Tori Allen Martin? No, but you will. And you'll damn much appreciate it. Uh, Really, really funny show. Love it. Called Pure on HBO Max. That is definitely a recommendation of mine. Another one, I talked about it a minute ago. I talked about it on the show before. Season 4 debuted this year. It's called Search Party. It is also on HBO Max. It was on TBS. And it shined on TBS. It's okay on HBO Max. Season 3 and 4 are good. They're not great. Season 4 is actually pretty disappointing. To be fair, it's still funny. And still... 
it still flipped the script on what this show could be, but um, Elias, uh, what is it, Shawcat? You, if you've seen Cedar Rapids, she was in that. You've definitely seen her before. Uh, she was in Arrested Development, and um, uh, what is it? She was in. I think she's in Big Mouth as one of the characters, one of the voices in Big Mouth. Um, I don't know if she has a huge role in that, but you've definitely seen her before. If nothing else, you've, you've heard about her. Um, she was in the show with Paul Rudd on Netflix, Living With Yourself. She was only in that for a couple episodes. But you, you've you seen her before. This is her like big main, first like big main part. 7 out of 7, uh, 7.7 out of 10, 6,500 ratings on IMDb. Um, and I think that 7 out of 7 is basically the last two seasons because – the first season, I thought was excellent. Second season, good, very good. That's probably the, actually the more critically acclaimed season, to be honest, with season two. But season one for me, it's like a, this really cult classic show. Uh, it's got a huge following. Um, well, I shouldn't say that. It's got a very dedicated following, although not the biggest. Very dedicated. I'm in there too. I absolutely love this show. I got my wife into it. We watched season three together. We watched season four together. Um, like live as it was happening week by week, HBO max did us all a favor. They put three episodes up at a time and then dropped the final four on us. So I appreciate that HBO max. And that helped get us through to WandaVision. But, um, it, it's about a group of four friends and they find out that one of their friends from college has gone missing and it's their search to find her. And then there's more and more and more and more. And you'd think to yourself, four seasons, like, how long are they looking? I'm not going to spoil it for you, but there's more to it than just that looking for Chantal. And uh, it's really, really funny. Like, Drew is absolutely, John Reynolds plays Drew. He's absolutely the best character. Steals the show 100%. Some people say Elliot. Some people say Portia. Um, some people even say uh, Alia Shawkat's character, Dory Seif, is really good. And I think they're all great. And I think they really work well together when all four of them are on the screen. I think it's a dynamic young cast. It's great. But anytime John Reynolds talks as Drew's character, man, I, I freaking love uh, his character and the, the shit he says and what he, as a character, goes through and gets into and arguably plays the biggest part of the big twist of the show. And it's like, damn <laughs> the burden of that. And he was in a movie called save yourselves, um, that I talked about, I believe was my pick of the week. Um, at one point, like really, really recently, um, man, what's his co-star's name? Sunita Mani. She, it's a show about aliens it, or a movie about aliens. It's awesome. He's actually in stranger things too. Um, very, very minor character, but he's in Stranger Things. He's uh, a police officer in that. So it might be where you like recognize his face. But a show about four friends that go on a search party. <laughs> like Literally. I guess I teed that up pretty shittily. But it's really, really good. And the last show is on Amazon Prime Video as an Amazon Prime Video original. And it's uh, done. It's not coming anymore. I think it only had three seasons or so. Um, let's see, 30, 26 episodes. Yeah. Yeah. So three seasons, 26 episodes. You can get through it fairly quickly. It's a half hour show. It's called Red Oaks. I've talked about this show over the years. If you're a longtime listener to the show, you've heard it before. So, 
Uh, nothing new for you there. But Red Oaks, it's a coming-of-age comedy. It's uh, set in the 80s, I think in, like, South Jersey, like, right around, like, the Cherry Hill area, where uh, this college student, um, uh, Craig Roberts plays him. His name is David. He goes back to his um, country club, and he wants to be a tennis coach or the tennis pro, and it tells the story of him in college and then throughout the summers at Red Oaks and falling in love and, and falling out and his parents getting divorced. And that's not really a spoiler because it happens quick. And, uh, oh man, it's really, really funny. Ennis Esmer, you might know him from, I believe blind spot, uh, as Nash. He is absolutely hilarious. Richard kind is in it. You all know him. Uh, Paul riser. You all know him. Alex Tertian is awesome. This was the role that put her on the map for me. I had no idea who she was until I saw her as Misty. She was great. Um, Alexandra Socha, she was awesome as Sky as well. Jennifer Grey, you know Jennifer Grey. She's in Dirty Dancing. She is Dirty Dancing. She's Jeannie Bueller, for gosh sakes. She's in it as uh, as the main character, David's mom. So it's just a family South Jersey comedy. It's a flat comedy. I mean, there's a little bit of drama in there. But, um, man. He wants to be a tennis pro. He goes back to his local country club in the 80s to be a tennis pro. He's got a girlfriend who, uh, what is her name? Oh, my goodness gracious. Uh, man. Uh, Gage Golighty. That's right. She's in it as Karen. She's his girlfriend. Oh, yeah. Gina Gershon is in it. So, I mean, like, what a cast, first and foremost. What a cast. Nick Bailey, he's awesome in it as Steve. It's funny. It's heartwarming. It's, again, beginning, middle, end. It doesn't let you down. Uh, it actually stays pretty true through the entire show. We looked back on that when we were done, and we said, you know what? I'm really happy with that ending. Um, doesn't leave it very ambiguous. So there's 10 shows that you need to go watch right now. And as a transition before we get into some indie games and talk about 10 indie games you need to play right now, there's a game coming out that was announced today as a TV show in the 80s, 90s. Actually, literally every generation has had its iteration of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, but Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Shredder's Revenge was announced today. Daddy uh, Moo was like, you're welcome. Here's an out of nowhere, not leaked, never thought of trailer, minute and a half for this beat-em-up. And when you hear beat-em-up and TMNT, the first thing you should think of is Turtles in Time or the arcade game. I'll let either one of them go. Or the NES arcade game one, as long as it's not the original NES game. That's... That's a, you really got to be dedicated to love that game. And I have it. It's, you know, it's bad, but like so bad, it's good, of course, especially at the underwater level with all the electric seaweed. But um, TMNT Shredder's Revenge, man, a four player beat em up in the style of the arcade game and in the style of uh, Turtles in Time. Each turtle has their own style and animations and all that stuff, just like you're used to seeing in the old games. They're based off the designs of the original turtle cartoon. That's all I wanted. That's all I wanted was to bring back the original designs because they're the best designs. And that's not me speaking out of nostalgia. That's me speaking. It's just fact. It's the best. The turtle designs where they didn't have eyeballs and they were just white spaces is horrible. The turtles now are pretty bad. There was a piece of turtle history where they didn't have bandanas. They are headbands. They had like actual bandanas that covered the tops of their heads too, instead of just around their eyes, like real bad stuff, real bad stuff. The CG turtles never connected with me. You get the old animated turtles from the eighties and 90, early nineties. That's where I'm at. Let's go. 
Uh, it'll be based off of that. On our Instagram right now, at We Podcast and We Know Things, I have seven, count them, seven screenshots that they released of this game in the press kit. So uh, we believe it's coming to Switch, PS4, which would be backwards compatible on PS5, Xbox, S and X, and obviously one. I would imagine the Steam uh, and maybe even Epic Game Store PC crowd will be there. And I don't know if I said it already, but definitely the Nintendo Switch, and that'll obviously be my place to play. That is the indie machine for me is the Nintendo Switch. Uh, as I get into 10 indie games you need to play. But this game, the trailer's on our Facebook. Sorry, I keep burping. It's the banana strawberry milk. Um, this trailer's on our Facebook. So at We Podcast, we know things on Facebook. You can watch it. It's a minute and a half long. Uh, I put it out on Twitter that I can't wait for this game. And somebody had said, um, maybe they didn't hear about this and they didn't see my earlier tweets about it, but I said, I cannot wait to play this new turtles game. And the reply was, wait, what, what turtles game? And I just said, do you have an Instagram? He said, yeah. And then he followed us over on Instagram and he checked it out and he liked obviously the story we posted about it because it looks so true to form bebop rocksteady. You're throwing foot soldiers into the camera, just like you did in the old games. It's, it's got everything. The animation looks crisp and clean to play it in high definition is going to be wild. It's going to be wild. I can't wait even though I have no friends to play it and co-op with. I'd imagine there's online play. Can't do that with Turtles in Time. Can't do that with the arcade game. But play a little online co-op with your buddies. You know, I, Sam doesn't have a Switch, so there goes that idea. <laughs> um, oh, boy, howdy. This game, there's no other information. There's no release date, no even release window. But it's, again, I said it earlier, .emu. It's going to be published by .emu. If you're wondering who they are, yeah, they did a game uh, that inspired my gaming list. A little game called Streets of Rage 4. That was a absolute smash hit of 2020 for me. One of the best indie games of the year. Absolutely phenomenal. Loved every second of it. Uh, so good. I beat it 11 times. <laughs> I beat Streets of Rage 4 11 times. I wanted to unlock every character. So that just tells you about how much I love that game. It's only two to three hour game and you just, I just beat the shit out of it a bunch. Um, but I digress to be able to go back and I'll gladly pay $25, $30 for this title. This is exactly what I wanted. An old school retro beat em up. They even sung the old cartoon theme song. Heroes on a half shell, turtle power. They're the world's most fearsome fighting team. Oh man. Like if that doesn't bring it all back, if you're around my age, you know, that 32-year-old prime goodness. I, I <laughs> That's the best. That's what I grew up with, at least. So cannot wait for that game. Cannot wait to share more information about that game eventually, whenever that may be. Um, I'd imagine June. Maybe we'll see something in June. Maybe not. I don't know. Who knows what E3 is going to be this year. And Keeley seemed to be surprised by the announcement, so I don't think Summer Game Fest will have anything. But just like 10 games or 10 TV shows you need to watch, let's do 10 indie games you need to play. And this will be a lot shorter than the TV shows because I don't want to give anything away. And these are all indie games. I mean, you could beat all of these games, all 10 of these, you can beat before you beat The Last of Us Part Two. And I mean all 10 of them combined if you just played them back to back to back. You can beat them all before you could beat The Last of Us Part Two. First game on my list, I've talked about it a bunch. It was my pick of the week. If not last week, then the week before that. Abroxia 2, available on PlayStation, available on Nintendo Switch, available on Xbox, and I believe PC. It was so good that when I got done beating it, 100% everything, Boss Rush, um, 
I can't remember. I think it's called Rush something. The other kind of platformy style. I can't remember what it's called right now. Beat that mode. Beat boss rush mode. 100% of the game. 100% at New Game Plus. And was like, what do I do now? Well, I brought the original. <laughs> then I 100% of that. Then I bought it on PlayStation. And I platinumed it. And then I got, then I bought the original Habox of Broxia on PlayStation. And platinum that. I've beaten this series of games twice in the last month. Each of them. Twice in the last month on two different platforms. Part of me wanted the platinum, but at the same time, it was just so good I wanted to experience it again. And I played most of it on my handheld. Um, on the Switch, I, I didn't really play it on my TV. So to be able to put it on the PS5 and throw it up on the big screen and, and play it there, I, I could have just docked my Switch. But then again, no trophies. I don't know why I spent you know 10 bucks to get a platinum. It is what it is. 18 if you count the original Habroxia. And I got the review code for Habroxia 2 for free for the Switch. So I didn't even have to buy the damn game, but I still did. I want to support Lily Mo and, and Colin Moriarty. I love their games. Um, Habroxia 1, good, but I'm here to talk about Habroxia 2. An amazing shoot 'em up. Twin stick shoot 'em up. Shooting 360 degrees. Power up your ship like crazy. Wonderful weapons. The bosses are all pretty much just recycled from the first game, but because I didn't play the first game till after the second one, they were all new to me. You learn the pattern, you can beat them. Uh, you got to really have fast reflexes, though. Just a phenomenal game. Twin stick shooter, Habroxia 2. Check it out. I finally beat Cyber Shadow. I've been talking about this game on the pod for a month, and it's grueling. And I thought Habroxia 2 was a hard game. Cyber Shadow shits all over it. I died 654 times. In 11 hours, by the way, not in 60. <laughs> it was tough. I would say a good 50 of those were I got damaged to the point where I just, just went off the screen and killed myself. I would say some of that are missed button inputs and stuff like that. But the majority of them were because the enemies were tough and the bosses were tougher. I, man, a three-phase final boss fight. Damn. An old school retro. This is Yacht Club Games producing this game. Mechanical Head Studios developed it. That's one guy, by the way. Uh, you are a ninja who is not human, and you have to go through Mecha City and or Metal City. I can't remember. And uh, and you have to uh, do a thing with a thing and get some orbs, and other people die, and you have to go kill Doctor Progen. And it's like it's like Ninja Gaiden meets Shovel Knight. It's a really good analogy for that. Uh, the checkpoints are few and far between. The platforming is tough. You don't get to run until you get the power-up. And guess what? That power-up comes last. So, like, you're already damn near done the game before you get to, like, get this incredible free-flowing movement. But when you get it, boy, does it pay off. And it's not one of those things where you, like, can't believe it wasn't there. It actually, the pacing is still pretty good. And you actually still are able to move pretty quickly because you get a wall climb not just a double jump or a wall cling. Like you can actually climb up the walls. So that actually increases movement speed and stuff like that. You'll find ways to go through the game quickly, even without a dash, uh, which you'll again, eventually acquire, but super good game. Again, I have it on switch. It's available on PlayStation, switch, Xbox, and I would imagine PC as well. I think it was 20 bucks. Habroxia two was 10. So now we're talking 30 bucks for two amazing games. Check that out. This next one's an oldie, but a goodie. It's almost four years old. Um, it's, Probably still my favorite overall indie game on the Nintendo Switch. It's called Golf Story. I've been talking about this game forever. Matter of fact, because of this podcast, two of my friends bought the game, texted me about it, and said, because you won't shut the hell up about it. This was back in 17 and 18. 
uh, they said, uh, we bought it. And one of them reported back that he loved it. I'm still waiting on the other person. But it's a golf RPG. But it's a 2D, top-down, funny RPG. This is a hilarious game in the best way possible. No voice acting, all text bubbles, but so good. It's the type of game where every couple of years I just want to go back and play it again. It took me about 20 or 21 hours, so not the biggest uh, uh, thing in the world. And I guess actually, now that I think about it, 20 hours is pretty damn long compared to these other games. Um, it's the longest game on here for sure. And then unless you count my next one, which I have over 110 hours in, but that's cause I'm a junkie for this, but golf story is hilarious in every sense of the word. So I recommend it very, 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 very highly a golf RPG top down. Like we're talking Mario NES, you know, open stuff. It's so good. And the golf is actually really good. The, the, the mechanics of playing golf are phenomenal. It actually feels like you're playing golf. And like to just be able to go play around is, is fine and it's fun. And I can't wait for Mario Golf to go do that. And I have everyone's golf and it's great. The story it tells is phenomenal and it's so funny. It's only like 10 or 15 bucks. Like go get it on Switch called Golf Story. Next game, my number three from last year, Skater XL. Over 100 hours into it. I prefer it to Tony Hawk Pro Skater. It is a different type of skateboarding. If you're regular footed, your left uh, analog stick controls your left foot, your right analog stick controls your right foot, and you skate. It feels like I'm out at a skate session with the homies. Like back before I was 230 pounds, back when I could skate at an incredibly high level. God, I miss those days, the old sponsored days. But I digress. I get off my high horse. Where's Sam to knock me down when you need him? I, uh, I love this game. The, it looks great. Graphics are great. It's a little glitchy every now and again, a little weird because like the physics, it's a very physics based game, but like real skate spots from real places, downtown LA, the LA courthouse, uh, easy day studios did a great job building their school level, which is arguably the best skateboarding level in the history of skateboarding levels. Maybe downtown LA is even better, but they're added. They added mods. To an indie game, a $40 indie game, they added mods. So now users are creating levels and uploading them, and Easy Day is taking them and putting them in this game. Already four or five new DLC levels added for free. Customary gear. People are creating skate brands just for this game, putting it on there, and then recruiting a team. Like Nightspeeds is sponsored in Skater XL. It makes me think, I don't think esports are actual athletes, but I got a future because I'm pretty good at that fucking game. It's great. I love it. It took me a really long time. Like it takes you a while to get used to. It's one of those things where it's not a very pick up and play game unless you like doing kickflips and board slides. Like you can pick that up pretty quick. But the hardest damn grind to do in the game's a 50-50 because of the physics. It's crazy. But I could do a kickflip back tail easier than I can do a back 50. And it's like you know, a little bit, you know, a little bit's weird on the kinks. I think the kinked handrails are still have some stuff to work out and some of the, uh, you roll off the curb and it completely messes with your momentum. And sometimes it's tough to ollie twice consecutively. And so it definitely has its flaws. I won't say it's a perfect game by any stretch of the imagination, but it's my favorite skateboarding game of all time. Uh, right past Tony Hawk 2. Tony Hawk 2 is my favorite Tony Hawk game. But it, and it wipes the floor with the remaster. It's just calling it what it is, man. You, if you have any interest in skateboarding uh, and you want to feel like you're out sk- skating with your friends, Skater XL is the way to go. Next game is called Venture Kid. I got this game for a dollar. 
on sale on Nintendo Switch. It's probably, I think, on sale now for like three bucks. Even if you don't like it, it's worth picking it up. It's basically, think of it this way. It's like Mega Man. Eight levels. Pick your level. Every level has a secret. If you get the secret in the level, it ultimately affects the ending of the game, uh, which I loved. That was actually a really nice twist. Uh, when you beat a boss, you get a power-up. And you use the power-up. Each power-up has a uh, almost like a, a meter or a bar, and you can only use that power-up so much. You have to replenish it with things you find through the level. And the little dots you pick up throughout the level when you kill an enemy is your currency to pick things up. Very, very, very Mega Man-ish. But for like, it's like a $3 cheap version of Mega Man that I have just as much fun, if not more, playing the Mega Man. If you look at my 2020 Nintendo Switch year in review, it was my number three most played game. And that, I think it was that, and then Sword and Shield, and then Super Mega Baseball 3. It's really funny how my uh, Nintendo Switch got so much life out of it in 2020 with the weirdest shit. And like... This $3 game. So the reason I put so much time into it, I put like 65 hours into it and I beat it in an hour uh, the first time. Um, I replayed it probably 50 times. It's because I wanted to pick up the speed run and I picked that and I was speed running it casually, like off stream, I don't stream anymore. So I was speed running it casually and I was timing myself playing it through and I was going up against the world record and I was like 15 seconds off world record. Something crazy. I would have been number two on the leaderboards for the game. Obviously it doesn't have a huge following, but for like a buck on switch, that's how I found it. So I imagine other people did too. And I imagine it's picked up some steam from that. Pardon the pun. Um, I don't know where else it's available. It doesn't feel like a game that would be on uh, the major consoles, like the major, the other consoles, PS five, Xbox. It's a very, very, very weirdly animated 2d Sprite game. Um, like full price. It's like four bucks. Like it's not, you know, you're not going to go out there and spend a 20 spot on this one. Um, but you know, running gun platform shoot like a mega buster type style, um, you know, double jumps and boomerangs and rockets and ice. And like, it's, it's, it's fun. You go through the, de- the, the desert and the city and the volcano and the jungle and then outer space and the actual final bosses pretty hard. And by that, I mean like the level to get to him is actually, the platforming is actually pretty difficult to get there. The final boss itself is easy. If you have patience, Easy if you have patience. Won't be the easiest boss if you just jump and shoot, jump and shoot. Yeah, there's a little pattern you got to pick up. But once you do, easy peasy, lemon squeezy. That's Venture Kid. Next game, Miles and Kilo, another $5, $7 game. I think we gave away six copies of this on the podcast. Uh, the developer, Mick Waits, and Four Horses Games, uh, we had him on the show doing an interview. I believe he published the game and co-developed it with, I want to say his name is Michael Burns. Cannot remember. Um who invented the or created the miles and kilo characters, but this one's another timing based platformer. Um, it has a, not a prequel, but it has another game called kid trip. Kid trip is an automatic runner where you don't have to hold any buttons and kid trip will run. If you hold right, he runs faster. This is different. This is an actual, you can move left and right freely. Uh, but you, the idea is to beat the stage as fast as possible without taking any damage. It's a bunch of stages. It's a lot of fun. I beat the game deathless. That's an accomplishment for me. I also put 40 hours into a game that, again, took me less than two the first time, but brutally hard. I went from, two, I want to say 213 deaths, maybe even more, to zero within a couple months. Um, was speed running that game casually, too. Actually, I believe I had world record time there for a little bit. 
Um, but I don't have any video evidence, so you're just gonna have to trust me. But a brilliant game, absolutely loved it. Um, beat Kid Trip Deathless 2, took a photo of that evidence. Actually, I think I took photo evidence of this one too, and my final time. So it might actually be on my Twitter. You just have to go through the timeline pretty deep, but I have some skeletons in that closet. So please don't do that at the Nintendo. Uh, but Miles and Kilo from Four Horses Games, again, under 10 bucks, can't beat it. The Messenger. Very, very, very much like Cyber Shadow, but came before it. This was Ninja Gaiden's like real true spiritual successor, Ninja Game. Um, here's the two things it does. So it's an 8-bit style. Once you get halfway through the game, it turns into a 16-bit style. And it goes from a linear left and right adventure to a Metroidvania when it gets to 16-bit. So it has a lot of ideas, a lot of ambitious ideas. What I love about it is anytime you hit an enemy with your sword and make a slash, a little cloud appears under your feet and you can do a double jump. Like, you can jump, jump, jump if you just keep hitting things. So, like, the movement is brilliant in that game, especially if you time your slashes uh, and kind of get that flow down. The speed run of that game is beautiful to watch. I think the linear is, like, 27 minutes on marathon. It's pretty insane. Um, but I love watching the speed runs of that. The Black Tastic, I believe, just did one for AGDQ 2021. I think 27 minutes almost on the dot. It was beautiful. Uh, the most popular category is the linear section. It actually kind of loses itself a little bit when it goes to 16-bit and becomes the, the Metroidvania. There's so many Metroidvanias out there that this game was doing something special enough when it was a 2D linear platformer. Great soundtrack. Um, that it could have just been that, and I would have been happy. Hell, I think where it turns into 16-bit, if the game just ended there and wasn't even any longer, I'd say it had been worth it. That's as far as I got. I got into like the th- third section of the 16-bit, and I turned I turned that car around. Uh, I didn't have any interest in finishing, but um, it's really, really good. Streets of Rage 4, again, classic beat-em-up. It gets as close to Streets of Rage 2 as you could possibly get. As a matter of fact, it's got Axel, it's got Blaze. Yeah, it's a long time in the future. They definitely look a little bit more disheveled, but it's super-duper good. Tight, beautiful art style, looks just gorgeous in high-definition. Um, there are some old characters in the game as well. Won't give away who they are and when they come about uh, and if they're good or evil. But if you're familiar with two, you'll know it. You can unlock every character from one, two, and three in their original uh, 8-bit or 16-bit style and also like alternate forms of those characters from Streets of Rage 1, 2, and if they were in three, even three. So like it's the ultimate package for a beat-em-up fan. It's the ultimate package for a Streets of Rage fan. And I think it was 25 bucks. Um, I think you can probably find it on sale there for like 17 or 18 But it's absolutely brilliant. Gunman Clive, the HD collection. I think I got this game for $3 on the Switch. It's Gunman Clive 1 and Gunman Clive 2 in HD. Running gun platformer. Very, again, movement-based. I think the speed runs 12 minutes. I think I beat it in 14. Um something like that, 14, 14 and a half minutes. It's only a couple minutes off world record pace. Um, it's a beautiful speedrun game. It's very, very not well-known. Gunman Clive has a little bit of a cult following, but I wouldn't say it's like uberly popular, but it's really solid. Uh, Gunman Clive, you can play as a duck and like go kill people as a duck. It's pretty rad. You go left to right and you get to the end of the level, kind of like a Mega Man style game. You're shooting, but he's actually a cowboy with a gun, so it makes sense. You don't have like a Mega Buster or in Venture Kids case, you're just shooting out of your hand. It makes a lot of sense. You're trying to save the girl. Um, the bosses are fun. The power-ups are really fun. The spread shot, the bomb, like 
super good. I think there's a homing one too. Gunman Clive 2 plays a little bit too much with like weird diversions and gravity and shit like that. I didn't love Gunman Clive 2. Uh, beat it a couple times, but Clive 1 is where I really thrive and, and go back to every now and again and just run through it in 15 minutes. You kind of like, once you get through the first stage, like, oh yeah, I remember everything about this game again. And you go through and you beat it and it's it's just a ton of fun. And the last game is Twin Breaker, a Sacred Symbols adventure. Um, loved it so, so much. So that is, again, a, a Lily Mo game. We're ending and beginning with a Lily Mo game, Colin Moriarty um, and Barry. This is a Twin Breaker. It's a, a Brick Breaker game, but instead of just one of the little Brick Breakers at the bottom of the screen, we go left and right. There's two, and you use both your analog sticks, and sometimes there's four. And sometimes you go left and right, and sometimes you go up and down, and sometimes you do both. And there's bosses, and there's incredible power-ups, and there's a great soundtrack, and there's a story. Can you name another Brick Breaker with a story? Because I sure as hell can't. I mean, like, an in-depth story. Colin Moriarty wrote the story. Uh, incredible game. I think it's like 10 bucks. Again, we got the review code on Switch, so I don't know the price. Um, thank you to, to East Asia Soft for that. But um, 10 indie games you need to go play. And these are maybe not for everybody. But like they're, I kind of tried to switch up the styles a little bit. You have some beat-em-ups. You have some platformers. You have some brick breakers, some twin sticks, some shmups all in there. So really a game for anybody. And, and a skateboarding sim even thrown in there. Uh, really fits anybody's style. But there's 10 shows you need to watch, 10 indie games you need to play, my thoughts on WandaVision, and a little bit on Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle Shredder's Revenge. Appreciate you listening, everybody. That's going to do it. It's like the longest Nintendo ever, even though it's not a Nintendo episode. Uh, this was episode 228. Sam will be back next week for 229. I'm sure we'll get his thoughts on WandaVision and a recap of all the nerdy news. We will see you next week for episode... 229.